This podcast is brought to you by Rehoy and Son, big supporters of local sport. Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Our thanks as ever to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. Plenty to get into this week, including reaction to the offshore commercial Guernsey FA Cup final and another great day for Rovers. We'll also look ahead to some big fixtures this week, round up the latest from the youth leagues and touch on what's been going on across the water. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me this week is James Fowler. Hi Tony. And Rob Battis. Hi Tony. Excuse if I get a bit croaky during this um bulletin <laughs> <laughs> you weren't shouting in support of the Rangers no, of the no, 13s were you Rob I wasn't I was very very quiet but I'm afraid I've been plagued by a, a troublesome cough last oh. 10 days or so <laughs> right on cue um, it's a bit psychosomatic i'm afraid here. well i'll cut out the rest of the costs as they come um let's start with uh, the news of today though um the island games football schedule is out which is exciting have you seen that rob okay. no <laughs> but i'll fill you in um guernsey's men are going to be playing uh, all of their three group games at the track all evening kickoff 6 30 um on the sunday monday and tuesday and guernsey's women who've just got the two group games um playing 2 30 kickoffs on the monday and tuesday at the corbett field um yeah it's going to be a, a fun few days well and, and hopefully a fun couple of days after yeah, I, it kind of becomes a bit more real, doesn't it, when the fixtures come out? So uh, this, this is good news. Didn't Guernsey play at the Corbett Field in two thousand and three? Though he did indeed. Yeah. So, um, but I, it, it's um, yeah, I mean, two great pitches. I'm sure they'll look an absolute pitcher uh, in the summertime, and uh, yeah, look forward to seeing those games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really looking forward to that. Um, let's look back at what happened at the weekend, though, at the Corbett Field. Um, Rovers uh, doing the double, lifting the uh, offshore commercial FA Cup with a uh, penalty victory against North. Um, Jim, you were down here and wrote the match report. Uh, I mean, yeah, a, a phenomenal uh, moment for Rovers ending that kind of cup hoodoo that they've had. Yeah, I think almost more so than than winning the double was the importance of actually winning a, a, winning a cup final. You know, they've lost so many... Uh, big finals over the last four or five years uh, so and including the stranger this season so for them to finally get one over the line uh, will be a massive relief and indeed as Kevin Gillies said afterwards uh, a great um, little bit of momentum to take into Saturday's Upton in, in Jersey as well where frankly it looks like they, they will need it um, uh, yeah uh, not a, a not a game high on quality but certainly high on entertainment you know there was um uh, North had uh, three GSC players back in, in their ranks, so yeah, they were they were pretty strong, and um, uh, then they took the lead. A good goal, Owen Walbridge beating the offside trap uh, and uh, scoring after 20 minutes. But 10 minutes later, Rovers equalised. Niall Hainsworth, who was named man of the match, um, with a header from a corner. Uh, and then they took the lead on about the hour with um, uh, a header from Charlie Platt, so one of the smallest players on the pitch, but lovely deep cross by Ben Latok up from left back, and uh, and he was there to plant his header into the net. So, and you know, frankly, at that point, uh, it, it was Rovers uh, Rovers game, and you're just looking to see it out. Then they just sort of had a little bit of a wobble, and, and North started pumping more long and high balls up to Sam Murray and the Rovers defence couldn't really cope with him so in the end it was 
every challenge seemed to be Adam Bullock trying to punch away from um, uh, from Sam's uh, onrushing uh, uh, aerial prowess. Uh, and it was one of those challenges late in the game. The ball wasn't properly cleared after uh, Bullock had won the first one. And Danny Cooley uh, just dinks a lovely cross back in. And uh, Dave Rehoy was there to head it into the net. Second minute of injury time. And uh, the game goes to 2-2. Uh, and frankly, you know, Rovers have been getting a lot of cramp treatment and stuff. And it really looked like... Uh, you know, North, you know, potentially North were going to come back and take it. Um, but extra time, both teams tired, really. There wasn't a huge amount of chances. And went to penalty kicks, and Rovers were deadly from the spot. Five kicks, uh, all finding uh, finding the corners. And um, uh, Ryan Lamb, unfortunately, missed for North, and that was enough to, to give Rovers the, the Cups. So congratulations to them. Yeah, I thought a nice moment as well with the, uh, the, the presentation made with Rovers uh, juniors alongside them. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was quite enthusiastic. Uh, basically, um, they, they passed the cup to every junior and it was way, <laughs> It went on for about five minutes, which was quite a nice, uh, quite a nice moment. But actually, that also summed up a point which, which um, was brought home to me during the game about making the FA Cup final an occasion, you know. And this, so here we were, Saturday after the league season finishes, lovely sun, uh, sunlit Corbett Field. Both teams had, um, I think, year four group of minis there to support them and lead them onto the pitch as mascots and a flag each. And they lined up with the, the flags as well. Uh, and it was a you know, great little location there. And it just made me think, if you, you know, the FA Cup uh, has not been much loved over time. I know uh, Rob has tried to uh, end it more than once in a, <laughs> uh, in a column back uh, over the years. But... Here is a great opportunity for a showpiece final at the end of the season that that can you know that can actually uh, do a job. But last so and two years ago it was played at the Corbett Field, last game of the season, big big event. Two teams that really bought into it. Uh, and last year it was held of an evening at Blodge Pier Lane. You know, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was end of the season, but it was you know whatever. It was held of an evening. It's just like let's have a bit of consistency on this. I appreciate. You know, leagues uh, fixtures have been mucked around big time by the the lateness of the bad weather this season. But you know, if 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 the FA Cup's going to have a place in the uh, in the local calendar, let's make it the last Saturday of the season. That is it. You know, like like the uh, like the um, English FA Cup. I'm not um, against the mm. FA Cup um, per se, but I do think the um, multiple teams being entered by most of the clubs don't give it any attraction to me or the public at all really I just think it's far far too many games it's far far too unwieldy um, and um, it should be basically for the senior teams and possibly some invitations to Alderney for example going forward next year and and in Jersey sides I wouldn't be against that I think it's just going to be made an occasion and I'm afraid when you've got some of the clubs entering three sides it, it's just very, very, very boring and long-winded and just adds to the fixtures problems which we, we continually have. Well, but both teams lacked bench strength on Saturday because they had players cup-tied for having played in Jackson's sides earlier in the competition. Uh, frankly, I, if, if you want... I know, I'll take your point, Robbie, you, do you need the extra games? But if you do want them, if you want the FA Cup to have a road to Wembley, Corbett Field, wherever it's going to be... Um, I would suggest that actually what you should be doing is forcing every club, railway, under-18s and vets to enter a competition where and those teams alone play in the early stages. And then you get to a stage where you're going to put eight or nine teams through to the um, 
to yeah to the quarterfinals to to play against against the Prio clubs, and at that point, being cup tied from a team that's now been knocked out of the competition falls away, so that teams aren't faced with that issue about having you know people unavailable for their bench or whatever because they've played in the earlier round. And actually, you know, um, my Rovers under 18s team took part in the Railway Shield this year. We played two games. It was really a good challenge for, for the guys. It's interesting to play, you know, young players, many of whom, frankly, were better than a, a railway level. But as a team, having to operate against a team full of adults was an interesting uh, adventure for them. Uh, vets teams against railway teams, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you could, you know, move through those early stages of games that are all meaningful for somebody and then you get through and maybe you know you, the level of your ambition is making the quarterfinals quite probably is for some teams but it, you know an under 18s team against a prio team in the uh, in 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 the quarterfinal that could be quite interesting yeah and then you'd have all those under 18s cup tied for playing for their, their their senior side further on in the competition which i'm sure they'll be very enamored about <laughs> Well, but not that's every, the downside of not, having, well, having not, these not other every 18s, team. Though. Not every team needs a, a priority full of 18s, but yeah, I mean, most it, of them do these but, days. But it's Jim. a uh, you know, it's a it's a possible way of, of revitalising the the cup a little bit if we need to. Otherwise, you know, it just becomes another prior competition, and that was that was the the value of the FA Cup when it was first established that it was actually more than just you know another first team cup. Yeah, but in those days, of course, we had lots of social leagues sides who were often very strong and they made the, they made the competition you know and unfortunately we've lost that now and it's you know it's basically down to the the prio sides and the odd jackson team like rocky rocking pirates it's a shame it's gone that way but i don't really see it it's not it doesn't really float my boat too much okay well, i don't know i think there's got to be a, there's got to be a place for a marquee headline cup competition and i know that there are you know there are lots but um yeah for the, the guns the fa cup to be it i'll carry on this conversation in the car park with rob after <laughs> um <coughs> just a word on rovers rob uh, you know head of the upton um at the weekend i mean when you look back they won the rawlinson they started the season well they're finishing it very well um it's been an impressive well obviously been an impressive campaign for them but what, what do you make of the way they've gone about it well one tweet I saw over the weekend which really struck me and um, was that it's 10 years ago that Rovers finished bottom the Prio without a single point to their name incredible and you know I seem to remember that year I think it was the Jackson side was struggling like hell they were conceding lots of games um, but they got themselves together and um, you know soon after that and it's been a steady rise since then, they've earned every single bit of their success because it's all been achieved with homegrown players, shall we say. They've really, really worked hard and they still are. You know, they've got so many players at their disposal and there's a real, really strong club feeling. You can see it when you when you walk into the in, into Portsmouth and um, all credit to them, they've set the bar for every side in the last few years um, in terms of developing players. And um, yeah, I'm really pleased my old club is finally getting this this, this success. And Jim mentioned the um, the GFC players that, that sort of stepped back in for North at the weekend, kind of looking the other way. Um, any of those Ravers players, do you think, in contention for Emirati or Island Games spots or looking ahead to, to, to push on to GFC next season? Um, possibly pushing on for GFC next season because we don't know quite what will happen 
post-Ireland games, I suspect that a few of those players, older players, may well decide they've had enough of giving up every most Saturdays to GFC and every other Saturday to travelling to the UK. So some new talent may well come into the GFC ranks. You would hope so, anyway. Um, whether any of them will get Ireland recognition this year, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I don't really see it, I'm afraid. And not, that's not to um, belittle any of the, um, the Rovers players. I mean, people like Ben Latok, for example, before he went off travelling, Proved himself at GFC level, was a very, very good player, but he's only just got back in the island. I think it's too late for him to get into the island, into the Marathi and Ireland Games squad. Tyler McCain's been there or thereabout. Sam Hall, for some really, really odd reason, doesn't seem to attract the attention of the um, the island managers. Um, I think he's a terrific player, and I know a lot of other people would have him in their squad, but that's about all I'm afraid yeah and Sam Hall is the one who would, who would do it for me I mean he's you know and also a, a guy not that he's a maverick but a, a guy who's a player who you could give a, a, an element of a free reign to I mean you know quite often he's playing as the more attack minded of, of, of the Rovers midfield so sometimes he's you know creating a fourth man in attack but he also does does his shift in in, in defense but you know he's a guy who can kind of unlock defences and things you know he's the kind of chap that I could see potentially you know coming off the bench to make a difference in that in that island rep uh, situation for the island games but and Rob's right I think otherwise I agree Jim entirely itself. but you know he Sam's been doing this for three or four years now and it doesn't seem to get him anywhere in terms of attracting the the island selectors so I think I'm afraid it's a uh, it's a no there. Before we move on from Rovers, um, Jim, you're over to the Upton on Saturday. Um, they go to Springfield to take on St. Peter, who, um, yeah, had looked to be the sort of all-conquering side in Jersey this season, obviously league winners um, and doing well on all fronts, although um, they came unstuck uh, in the WeWay final at the weekend, losing 2-0 against Grooville. A bad day at the office, um, the St. Peter Twitter feed said. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a tough test, isn't it? It will be, but Rovers will be slightly heartened. They met um, uh, they met St Peter in the early stages of the WeWay uh, back in last autumn and um, only lost in extra time and were the better I understand I didn't see the game were the better side for an hour plus in that game and then when it got to extra time, they had both their centre backs sent off in extra time, which uh, rather rather ended the rather ended the contest. But um, you know th- they would have that experience of that you know, that and that hour uh, to you know, to take it you know take from the memory banks and say look maybe you know, can we keep this going for uh, for, for ninety minutes? Y- you'd expect it would be uh, difficult. I mean R- Rovers. Of, uh, this is what their third up to now. The last two, they they met you know, the all conquering St Pauls and didn't really lay a glove on them. Um, so yeah, you know, be be there for them. You know, it's a it's a team that is still playing with, with some confidence but yeah I know it'll be a tough test but they can only give it a go yeah and Saints broke that long run didn't they last year and um, yeah I'm sure everyone in Guernsey football will hope it will be behind Ravers uh, going into this weekend indeed um, best of luck to them uh, some uh, other news from Jersey this week um, that uh, Martin Cassidy um, the Jersey men's representative manager is uh, going to be stepping down after the Marathi so not taking the Island Games which is um, yeah quite interesting that job will be fulfilled by St Peter's manager Elliot Powell, who's um, pretty young, um, has been uh, in post at St Peter for a couple of years, but that'll be a, a yeah a big opportunity and a, a big test for him. Uh, yeah, um, it will be. It'll be very 
very interesting. I mean, he's had a successful season this year for sure. It'll be very interesting to see uh, what he might want to do. But obviously, the first thing he's got to do is try and resolve Jersey's ter- terrible uh, Island Games um, uh, Island Games uh, records. So um, I'm not sure how where we stand in officially uh, wishing him all the best with that. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, interesting and also good for Jersey football, you'd say, to have somebody who they can identify coming up through the ranks as a club coach who they can move, you want to move into those uh, those senior positions. That's the thing we've been kind of bemoaning from a Guernsey perspective that, uh, you know, where is the, the new breed of uh, of coach coming from? So it'll be, it'll be, it will be interested to see, uh, you know, w- what kind of job he does. Yeah, I remember speaking to Elliot when he took the St. Peter job, whatever it was, three or four years ago or two or three years ago, um, uh, and uh, yeah, a very young man, but uh, um, impressive, and um, yeah, clearly got plenty of passion, uh, and has uh, steered that ship very well. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, an interesting uh, opportunity there uh, at a young age. Uh, as for Martin Cassidy, Rob, um, he's obviously enjoyed some uh, good days uh, in the Jersey dugout in recent years. Where does he rank in sort of interim managers? Well, he certainly got one of the better records, that's for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to say, to be honest, with any security about <laughs> where where he stands in terms of the top Jersey managers. Was he better than Ron um, Chopper Harris, for example? You know, I mean, he was a top top man in his time, even if only for a couple <laughs> of years. Peter Vincenti was very, very good, very, very strong manager, fearsome manager. You wouldn't want to sort of um, take him on in the dugout. And he had a terrific record as well. Um, no, um, he has done very, very well and well done to him. I think he was manager of five. He's done five games so far, in which case he's only lost his first one uh, and one ever since. So, you know, but... That's a uh, that's a record that can't be sniffed at, and it, we would uh, we would willingly <laughs> willingly take that kind of record. Well, I'm sure we'll hear a bit more from uh, Martin Cassidy around Maratti time before he bows out from that jersey roll. Um, moving back to domestic matters, um, yeah, I mean when you look at the uh, the GFLM fixture list, absolutely packed with finals and silverware to be decided. We'll perhaps come on to that in a moment, but in terms of what actually has been um, won presented. Um, Rob, a really significant weekend for Rangers. Um, obviously a club that you're closely attached <laughs> to now. Um, tell us about that because, uh, yeah, a, a long run has been ended. Yeah, um, history books show that Rangers haven't won too many youth titles over the years, even in the years when they were really dominant at Premier League level and winning Uptons and whatever. They never seem to win many junior titles. But um, finally, um, the standing under-13 side that they got this year under Mark Bowsfield and Stuart Moyle's tutelage um, have won the under-13s title, which is the first silverware coming the Red and Black's way in best part of 20 years. Um, the last sort of top Rangers young side was included the likes of Ross, Ross Allen. So it's, it's, it's been um, long awaited and it was very, very nervous in the end because the under-13s have been unbeaten all season. But the last three games were against um, Rovers, who were a very strong side, and North, who were third, um, and also sort of had high hopes of winning the title. And uh, it came to, um, when they came to meeting Rovers and uh, Rangers re- a few weeks back, it ended in a one-all draw. So it came to last Saturday's game under the KG5 3G with Rangers um, in the position where if they secured the win, the title was there. If if they only drew, um, the, game, the, the, the title would continue. But if Rovers w- 
won the game, it would possibly go to a playoff. And as it happened, it, that match ended in a 3-3 draw. And it was incredible stuff, really, with both teams hitting the post or bar multiple times. Um, Rangers going 3-2 ahead, seemingly go, well, going 3-2 ahead very, very late on, only for Alfie Torrode within a few seconds to strike this wonder goal to make it 3-3. Then Samir Sasse, um seemingly scoring the winner in stoppage time with a fantastic finish, only for the flag to go up and the game to be the match... Uh, so the goal to be ruled out. And then, then Rovers hitting the bar at the other end. So it was really, really exciting. 3-3 was a, probably the res, right result. Um, so it all went forward to Northfield yesterday morning, bank holiday morning. Um, Rangers who had, had playing their third game in five days. Um, <coughs> went ahead very early on through Samir Sasse against North. Um, but North came back really, really well and it ended in a 1-1 draw. Rangers had vastly the bulk of second half play and had quite a few chances um, to win the game. But we're really, really nervous. And in the last couple of minutes, Wilf Dorian, who really caught my eye for the North side, went through and you thought, oh, he's gonna, definitely going to score here. And Chevy Palzard in the Rangers goal made a terrific save um, to keep the game um, locked at 1-1 and... A couple of minutes later, um, the final whistle went and the, the Rangers team went rather bananas. <laughs> but well, it was, it was it, yeah, I think it was a great end and I was really impressed by the way North North coaches quickly laid on a sort of a, a tunnel full of their players for Rangers to walk through to receive the trophy and their medals, which was greatly appreciated. And I think it sort of comes, brings a sort of a, almost a fitting end to the local. Um, you've seen, you know, there's been a lot of good competitive football across all the age groups and it's nice to see that the trophies have been shared out pretty much across the board to be honest I think I'm pretty sure every club uh, may well have won something or will win something because I think Valrec's under 14 are in a final this week as well so I don't don't think anybody has been left out apart from of course Bells who Bells are in the Corbett Shield they're in the Corbett Shield but you know in the terms of the more the league's 13 up up to 18s um, you know it, it has been spread out you mentioned the Corbett Shield, Jim. That takes place tonight alongside um, the Corbett Cup final, um, which is played between North and Sylvans. Um, elsewhere in the last week, Rob yeah, Sylvans won the under 16s. Yeah. And Saints right. have had a good week. Yeah. Um, Saints had a fantastic end to the under 18s league. Um, since North have won the league, um, they might have fancied themselves getting a treble, but they got absolutely walloped 6 1 by Saints in the Old Vic final last week and then in this weekend's Loveridge Cup final. Um, Saints turned them over again 3-0 with Zaccio Joffrey scoring a couple of goals um, I believe that North were without um, their star player Owen Warbridge for both those games having been sent off given a straight red and I think I'm not, I'm not just clarified that he may well be out of the junior Upton as well as a result which will be a big big blow to them um, no, the under-18s has been a really, really weird league all season. You know, where most of the teams, apart from Rovers under-17s, who may well be a big player next season, have been turning each, over, each other over, really. Um, and it's incredible when you think, you know, Saints were really not never challenging for the title strongly. But have clearly, when they got their full side out, uh, a pretty, pretty handy unit. 
Well, best of luck to North in the Portsmouth uh, Trophy. Um, just on the subject of, of all these cup finals then, um, it has been a, yeah, it always seems to be a particularly busy time, doesn't it? Are there too many uh, in one time? Definitely. I mean, each age group's got their own, they've got two cups generally. So why not play at least one of those competitions through to a, a climax before Christmas and leave the second one over to the latter part of the season? And um I think that'd be a far more sensible way of doing things. I don't think it's ever been an issue before, but you know, this year, I know again potentially with the late season postponements that we've had. But yes, re- ridiculous p- proportions. I mean, lads who are playing in two age groups potentially are, are playing three cup finals in a week. I mean, that devalues the cup final. Mm-hmm. Means that somebody who might get injured could miss, you know, two ga- two cup finals or something for a relatively minor sprained ankle. And certainly 18s final or sorry, junior finals didn't always used to be played in this rash at the end of the season. I remember going to Loveridge finals or whatever midweek uh, at the Corbett Field in kind of February March time you know there's no, no need to to pack all the games in, in this at this time of the year and I think some clubs are recognizing that it's really come home to roost this year and I hope that things change for next year it's absolutely you know makes no sense that like the Loveridge or the Old Vic is a competition that might start in end of August even and then culminate in the final week of the season mm. Mm. Exactly. I mean, the Old Vic's always been traditionally the um, <clears throat> the main under-18 cup trophy. Keep that to the end of the season. Be, you know, uh, play it immediately after the end of the, the league season. But the Loveridge, play it before Christmas to a conclusion. Far better that way. And if you have a bad run of weather, you know, you can always slot it in in January. But to play them both side by side in the latter stages is ridiculous. Yeah, hard to keep track of for one, but also, yeah, it doesn't exactly give uh, the winners um, kind of much time to enjoy it. It's on to the next one. Well, I mean, a cup final is supposed to be a big occasion. If you're playing three in a week, I'm sorry, it cannot be, uh, you know, have the same importance for for players and and spectators, etc., as as it would have done. I don't know if this will be answered quickly. I was going to say quick question, but, um, uh, you know, with the sort of domestic season wrapping up, what's the the big questions that we're going to hear at the GFLM AGM? What are the what are the big what are the big uh, topics to solve apart from that? Well, I think um, from what I understand, you know, one of the big questions is what do you do with the under 18s league? Because quite clearly, so many um, young players are now playing in prio football, so they're actually, you know, they're having to play an awful lot of football often on the same weekend. Um, it's a question of what you do with the Prio League, what's, what's going to happen with Alderney, you know, are we, have we got enough players to sustain the senior format, which in, in its current current guys, I'm pretty sure most clubs will now say no, so I suspect one of the leagues will go, one of the railway leagues, or the two bottom railway leagues, well, the two railway leagues be merged into one, Um but the problem is, Rob, that that is a a, a problem that, frankly, will only, or sorry, that's the solution that will only eventually make things worse. What you need to be doing is trying somehow to build bigger squads, not simply cutting down the number of games to suit the squad that you've already got. You know, I see some clubs, Vale Rec, for an example, have a railway team, Division Three team, which is largely lads who've been playing in their youth teams in, in recent years, you know, and not successfully. I mean, those youth teams had a poor record, but they've managed to retain a lot of lads who've carried on playing social football, inverted commas, um, you know, but enjoying themselves competing at, at a Division Three level, 
you, you axe that team, you're basically kicking those guys out so that you know people who are Jackson, you know, Prio, Benches, you fill those gaps. The problem, teams, clubs need, and Rangers have got this very well, need a supporting infrastructure of third team players. And Rangers have absolutely got that. You know, some guys drift into their Prio from time to time, but they've got a good you know, strength within the club. And those are the guys who quite often support the club as well, socially, uh, etc. In in the bar. That's where efforts need to be made. We need to find more players there. And I think what's happened over time is that, you know, good players have played for certain teams. Oh, we can't compete with them. We need to biff out half our half our railway team and bring some Jackson players down kind of thing. Those players disappear from the game. Uh, you know, I mean, we managed to salvage the railway leagues because I think they were canned in what's so on 2008 and they came back in in 2013 when the social leagues collapsed and there was that influx of players but it, somehow we've you know and there was a season where um, the the d- railway league was 13 teams in it you know and that included people like captains and Manza and Herm and things that you know so there was a a, a wide mix of some of which shouldn't, shouldn't have been in railway football but there was a lot of players in railway football there that the issue should not be mm, let's can the you know let's knock out a railway league it should be how do we where have we lost those players to and how are we going to get more players back if clubs were, were better at retaining their under 18s and giving them a, a structured uh, routes to into football Potentially, the railway leagues would would be fine, or you know, put them in the Jackson or whatever. Oh. But there's you know, so many people that are just sleepwalking out of football, and and very little is done to retain them. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you on that score, Jim. I mean, football has been terrible in recent years of retaining players from 16 upwards. Really, you know, we've got you see the hundreds and hundreds, and hundreds of minis that play every weekend, and that that number reduces by when they get to 13, reduces further when it gets to 14, reduces further to 16s and up to 18s. Well, suddenly they go off, the numbers go off a cliff. And but um, Guernsey football hasn't been able to um, put that right. Um, what the answer is, I don't know. Um, it's it differs, you know. If you ask every club, and every club will have a different solution to it, and and have a different solution, arguably based about what their current exactly group is in in in, in that uh, that age bracket. Look, I've I've long thought. I mean, it's a controversial uh, uh, solution, but whether the final year of youth football should be seventeens or nineteens rather than eighteens. Eighteens is the period where you know. You leave school, you discover alcohol, um, you know, you, you get a job or, or whatever. You know, so many life, you go to university, so many life-changing mm-hmm. things happen. And it just so happens, all that happens at the same time as, as you're being invited to leave football. You know, why, why would you stay? Yeah. You know, you haven't got any structured plan. If you're not a Prio player, the club hasn't got any idea what to, what to do with you. And so people just fall out of the game. Other sports, you know, who would kill to have the numbers in, in juniors, that, that football has, uh, you know, w- you know, w- would not be treating it so carelessly just to say, yeah, you know, on you go. Please, you had fun for the past 12 years or so. Good luck in the future. You know, it's it, it, more effort needs to be made in that area. Yeah. Personally, I wouldn't be averse to the under-17s replacing the under-18s or an under-21s league being brought in um, with perhaps some, you know, um, adult players being able to be used because um, I'm not sure even though I the idea under 21 league sounds really really good when push comes to shove I'm not sure whether you'd have enough players purely of under 21 to sustain a, 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 a you know a, a full program of matches but all the more reason to be able to retain 
post-18s, if there was a 21 of, of guys that they know, mm. you know, uh, the same at the moment, you know, potentially you've got an, an 18-year-old finishing his under-18s career, not in the Prio. It, we all know that railway squads tend to almost operate by themselves nowadays rather than be part of the club. <clears throat> you know, you've got to be a pretty brave chap to want to stick your hand up, go to training there and see if you can break your way into a railway side. It's easier just to sack it all off. Um, so... You know, if there was a 21 solution, particularly particularly in the Jackson style, uh, which, of course, was the case, uh, what, a decade or so ago when there was that big uh, plan that got scrapped after a year, maybe that is, is, a, is a, a way of retaining more of those uh, under-18s, under-19s, you know, play with a group of people that they already know rather than try and break into a team where they don't know anybody. Yep. Well, we'll see. Oh, a flavour, perhaps, of the discussions that will be uh, taking place at the AGM. One of the other things I've, I've I've heard that may well be coming forward, and it will be a good thing, is actually there'll be the intention of leaving um, gaps in the fixture lists to enable each age group Ireland team to have a, a proper build-up to their, their main matches um, and, you know, give them a chance to actually play for a lot more friendlies, domestic friendlies, perhaps, uh, you know, the under-14s playing, uh, you know, an island select of, of a year above, that sort of thing. And um, so I think that may well come in, which would be a good thing. And there's also talk of possibly moving some of the age group Marathis around to, rather than leaving them all to the end of the season. I, I think that's a must. I, mean, we, we, I think we've spoken about this previously, but the 21s used to be played in November. I mean, it absolutely should go back to November. Otherwise, you're in a position now where mm. if you're an 18-year-old player in the under-18 squad and the under-21 squad, you're expected to be Ireland training basically from January through till middle of April when your team is is after you, you're on the verge of making cup <coughs> finals, winning leagues, etc. You know, And somehow we'd like to get a training game in the middle of that. It's virtually impossible, yeah. isn't it? Exactly, exactly. I remember when I was in my younger days, when I was in first year in Rovers pre of football, um, I had a pretty good start and I, must, um, I was lucky enough to be in the under-18 squad, but also I was out of, out of the blue, I was chosen in Roy Lucas's Ireland squad. Um, and without going to a training session for the Ireland squad, I was subsequently dropped because the, <laughs> it was found out that the two set to training sessions would clash so I was put in the under 18s and never had a chance of the under 20 on the main team which I was a bit sad about to be honest but again you know it's the same now I mean you've got under 20, 18s playing opposite against 21s and it's it's ridiculous really split them oh well, it sounds like there might be some positive uh yeah positive movements to come then we shall see um just before we wrap up, I just want to mention James Hamon, who's had a, a really good week uh, with Truro City, um, helping them to promotion through the playoffs from the Southern Premier League um, to the National League South. I've got to say, I was very frustrated. I was driving to a match uh, the other day and and I had Radio Guernsey on my, on my car radio. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and they went and over to uh, Truro where we're covering that they were playing Pool Town uh, in the, what was to be in the semi-final yeah. or something. Uh, so and here's the lineups and in goal for Truro, James Hamon. I thought, well, how many years has he been there? <laughs> and they still don't can't say his name right, you know? Uh, well, he had a very good night uh, in that game against Pool, saving two penalties in the shootout. Um, 
so yeah, to help them through. And then, um, yeah, they followed it up in that playoff final, um, beating Bracknell Town. Of course, uh, we're in uh, GFC's division, weren't they, just a, a year ago? Um, yeah, so Truro back into the National League South for the first time uh, in four years. So, uh, yeah, well done to James and to Truro City. Um, right, I think that's just about it from us. Our thanks, uh, as ever, to Rehoy and Son for their support. Um, do keep track of the Guernsey Press this week uh, for plenty of uh, coverage uh, as the football season um yeah, winds its way to a conclusion uh, and ahead of the Marathi we're going to have uh, plenty of coverage um, in paper in podcasts and online as well so keep an eye on all of that uh, thanks very much guys see you next time cheers mate. cheers Tony.